activate the time portal. Land before time land, land before time land. From the Cretaceous to the Jurassic, from the Great Green Valley to the big, big water. This land was made for time and land. Ah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Land Before Time Land podcast, the most inexcusable franchise of all time. We are your hosts, uh, Madeline May and Chris Nebergall, and today we have a very special guest. He is an actor and musician, and he performs all the time at the world-famous Pack Theater. Give it up for uh, Peter Stoya. I, I hope I said your name correctly, Pete. Oh, you got it. You got it, Maddie. No <laughs> I problem. should have asked that before the introduction, but who cares? <laughs> you, yeah, but luckily, luckily you did not need to. Yes. Awesome. Pete, what is your experience with the Land Before Time franchise? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I, I definitely do remember seeing it when I was a kid because, or at least being familiar with it when I was a kid, but I never, I, I, I'm fairly certain I never really delved into the sequels or any of the later parts of the franchise like pretty much at all after watching land before time six uh i think i might just stick with the first one though (laughs) i Uh, wouldn't blame you for that decision so you've never seen you've never seen any of the sequels uh pretty sure pretty sure i have not not even as a kid these were these were really big i I, I mean i have toys i have burger king toys uh, from land before time so i mean I definitely know I was aware of it. I I remember keeping track of all the sequels that I wasn't seeing by the fact that there would always be ads for them on Cartoon Network or Kids WB or whatever it was. (laughs) Whatever kids' channel I was watching, they always had commercials for the Land Before Time movies. Or whatever video I just bought, they got another trailer for the next one that you have to get. Because they were releasing these like one year at a time for a while. Like once they made that first sequel in 1994, six years after the original, it was basically like clockwork. They were like Friday the (laughs) Third. They were like Friday the Thirteenth movies. There's another one every year. An interesting method of striking the uh, striking while the iron is not hot while everything's been set already <laughs> yeah while the iron is like settled you know you've made the yeah. dish you just want to yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep it warm at this it's, point it's become a nice paperweight in the last couple of years like just keep the omelet warm i gotta do something for a little bit <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> making omelets on a blacksmithing anvil that's novel a blacksmith has to use what he has available do you think a blacksmith can afford an anvil and a cooking stove no they made that yeah, choice come on became a blacksmith they're just trying to be economic about it so this this is the f- land before time six the secret of saurus rock and it is the first film i like in the that franchise. name great yeah. name yeah absolutely great name and it is the first film in the franchise not to be or in the sequel line not to be made by universal cartoon studios which appears to have dissolved by this point it's it's either that or they just stopped uh using the logo at the beginning of the movies because it's 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 now like a universal family entertainment presentation or something like that pete so what are your initial what were your initial thoughts watching this this sequel like having only really seen the first land before time going by my knowledge of animated films from that time period i tried to settle into the right headspace you know that we're gonna see a cute adventure we're gonna see like you know childlike animals get into fun situations and learn something along the way sort of type of thing and i mean like i like that i like those types of movies as well i like all types of film but uh i definitely can appreciate 
uh, a childlike film. No, it, it's a good way to be. Um... Although I will say the animation in this film has taken a dramatic step up from the last Land Before Time sequel. Now we're actually seeing some quality animation. And I'm just going to say uh, what everyone's thinking. I did not hate this movie. No, this one is by far my favorite sequel so far. This one is, it's got the <laughs> the most like cohesive script. It's got the best, you know, little gags and, and lines in it. It's, I think, by far the most effective and decent and passable of these movies that we've seen so far. It's also the strangest of the sequels that we've seen. Yeah, that's part of the reason I oh, love it wow, so much. Oh, wow, it's the strangest, really? So far, this is where oh, okay. I think... <laughs> I think this is where the series gets really goofy. Um, let's just get into oh, it. This well, is so, yeah, it's incredibly goofy. I mean, before this, it's kind of like a bunch of moralized tales. There's not really any kind of character development or character period. It's kind of more like, oh, some shit happened to the Great Valley and we got to fix it. But this one has genuine character arcs for both Sarah and Littlefoot. Yes. Characters have meaningful relationships with each other that change as the story goes on. There are running themes. And it's also a Western. It's Holy a Western. Shit, it's a fucking Western dinosaur movie. Yes. That, oh God, I don't, I guess we can go ahead and just talk about that moment, can we? Yeah, you uh, know what? Yeah, the beginning is, is bullshit. Let's not, let's <laughs> just skip. It starts with your stand, <laughs> standard space opening, you know. I like the intro of the kids around the campfire while Grandpa tells a, the story of the lone dinosaur. Definitely the best intro. Uh, all of these movies have had the exact same intro where they start out in space for some reason, and then they slowly get to the planet <laughs> Earth, and you see like oh, these wow. little li- you see these little fishies evolving into lizards. And What a great way to start... A- there's science and then we see dinosaurs and then we understand this is how the movie this is how hollywood can get to the audience this one is the most diplomatic about the wording of evolution though it's it's just kind of like there were many stories told about how the dinosaurs came to be who knows which is true which of the stories are really true grandpa (laughs) <laughs> no one knows, Littlefoot. That is one of the great mysteries of life. Uh, it could be maybe the Hindu sources are right. <laughs> or the sure, muslodactyls. Yeah. Who knows? Who's the, correct? The, I mean, the grandfather has a very caring, gentle way, you know? <laughs> Shh, Littlefoot, please do not interrupt. But the, the first scene of this movie after the standard space opening, I actually thought it was kind of clever where Littlefoot's grandpa's telling this story around the campfire, but they're dinosaurs. They can't build a campfire. So what it actually is is there's little volcanic cracks in the earth that are acting like a campfire. You're right. And they're just I like sitting around. I didn't even realize it. that. Yeah. Uh, it's it really oh visually clever. Oh, my God. Clever. Yeah, <laughs> no, yes, it's right. But then also, where are they? They, like, literally, because it's such, like, a lush area, valley area, and then they literally have, like, cracked molten lava oh the the great valley is a super volcanic place like there's some sort of volcanic or hot spring or earthquake event in every one of these movies they hold it in such high regard but but it's yellowstone it's gonna blow yeah, up it's on not a one great day. it's not a great place to live from the get-go no it's not a good long-term plan i would say i think we'll come into play later as we go on through this podcast what, yes. what if this series that is just a bad bad place <laughs> what if this series is is 
is actually going to pay off on all my fan theories about it, which are that the asteroid has already hit and the extinction is going on in the background. Oh, it's a post-apocalyptic series. The Great Valley <laughs> is a super volcano and is going to explode <laughs> one of these days. I have all these apocalyptic theories. So, but, but anyway, uh, continuing on, uh, Grandpa tells Littlefoot and his friends uh, the story of the lone dinosaur, which is amazing. It's basically, it really is, you know, yeah. a Western gunslinger myth where there was a long ago, there was a lone dinosaur, a big sauropod who wandered in from from nowhere, defeated a sharp tooth in single combat and then left. That's it. He just leave. Hell yeah. And so the whole movie focuses on this uh, lone dinosaur and a rock that they have in the Great Valley that they believe is like some sort of magical monument to him. And, and I like how they just try to push the Western motif as far as they can with them being dinosaurs. Like he uses his tail as a lasso. Yeah, it's like, and like it makes like a whipping up. noise. Like, yeah. yeah. Like that's his, Bronto, that's his Brontosaurus thing. did not do that. No. Brontosaurus uh, did not do that, guys. Actually, it probably did. Sauropods had really long, stiff tails, which would have probably been their primary weapon against predators, actually. Well, there you go. Very there interesting. You go. Uh, I like at the end of the story, they just do like a comeback Shane kind of thing with the dinosaur. Like, wait, come back. I love you. Oh, the yeah. The, the final dinosaur. scene is like literally Shane. It's like Littlefoot, the little kid, is, is, is staring off into the distance as the lone dinosaur rides off. The lone dinosaur, by the way, voiced by Chris Christopherson. I saw his name in the opening credits, and I'm like, oh, wait, where's his voice? There he is. It makes sense <laughs> that he would be the old, weathered, battle-worn dinosaur. Oh, yeah, and they got him in for like a day, maybe half a day at most. Oh, yeah. Uh, for the recording. Oh, yeah, he had, <laughs> he, had, he had a page worth of lines, probably. <laughs> uh, Grandpa tells him the story, and Littlefoot is like, just blown away like his little mind has been open to every possibility and he wants to be a cowboy now yeah the, the whole little foot arc of this movie is that he looks up to the lone dinosaur and wants to be like the lone dinosaur which he will learn later is being alone is no fun and you need your friends and family and stuff Aww. some other stuff happens here we find out that uh sarah has like these little nieces that can barely talk they do like i don't know they talk in like rugrats voices or yeah some yeah shit. she has she has a comedy duo of, of of nieces now who have called, never uh, appeared in the, the series before this is their debut in the they're, franchise they're called dinah and dana <laughs> as and eligible charming. as maybe the racist twins in the transformers 2 <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, how God. i i mean like i could barely i mean like they uh, ducky had to say what they said every line that they spoke throughout the entire movie. Oh, my God. Thank yeah. God there's no dinosaur with, like, a patois in this franchise. <laughs> at least not yet. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Thank goodness that they all speak American English. Thank God. <laughs> just just wait until we meet the Cajun dinosaurs. Oh, my God. Oh, I, I'm shit. It's going to be, a, it's gonna be a, a, a bad day, let me tell you. Oh, Christ <laughs> on a shit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so the, this camp thing kind of ends. It's the next day. They're all like playing in the trees or doing dinosaur things. Uh, they're knocking over the tree stars, and uh, Sarah's dad just loses his mind. God which, damn it. As he just, always does. Which is it's very common. Most conflicts in this series come from Mr. Threehorn just losing his shit about something because he's a terrible dinosaur that makes sense that makes uh, sense he said first name jackie J jackie three horn jackie three horn is my, <laughs> my headcanon 
You owe tr- your wife owes tree stars to Jackie Treehorn. That means you owe tree stars to Jackie Treehorn. <laughs> Mr. Treehorn uh, warns them that they're running out of food and they have to be careful. Don't you kids realize this is the time of the changing tree stars? We can't waste those that haven't fallen yet. They must be eaten before they dry up. Do you want us to run out of food entirely? Even though that is the plot of every single movie in this franchise is they're running out of food and they're <laughs> going to die. This well, happens that, in the that I did not know. Month. Um, they decide to play hero and Littlefoot's like, hey, let's play lone dinosaur so I can like just lord over to my over my friends and be like the cool one. <laughs> like that's such a kid thing to do too. Like you make yeah. up a game and you're like, I'm the star of the game. You're all the, the, the shitty assholes that do what I say. I, I actually just quickly wanted to mention a couple things just from the beginning. During the legend, there's a point where like the sharp tooth like comes into frame. And then this happens a lot, I feel like, with, like, old animation where the timing is off. You know, everything is on screen just a little bit too long. Like, the sharp tooth looks at what would be the camera. And <laughs> and I wrote down, breaks the fourth wall? Did they just break the fourth wall? <laughs> they refer to, they call the earth, earthquakes earth shakes it's adorable i think they're called earth shakes in the first movie too. yeah that, that okay. does come from all right, all right. Does come from enough. the first movie for me like there just seemed to be like a little bit of like okay their language seems to, what the language of the dinosaurs like was kind of like weird to me and didn't quite make sense all the time throughout the movie oh yeah it, it, it's totally bullshit because like sometimes they have like a cutesy name for it and other times they just say the fucking thing so it's like yeah. i don't i have no idea I cannot follow the 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 language of these dinosaurs. And the one thing, the one thing that kind of that the the Papa Three Horn, uh, I kept thinking, wait, do they have a concept of what three is? Do they know numbers? What is <laughs> like if they call things tree stars, then. Where are the lines is where I was just confused a little bit. I, I, I have wondered, actually, you know, there are many types of plants in the in the Great Valley, and they have never, ever, ever, like, referred to any of the rest of them as food. And I think that's so they can avoid having to address the question of, if five pointed leaves are tree stars, what are every other kind of leaves? You know, they don't have a word for leaves. So, like, uh, I'm going to eat this tree oval i'm gonna eat this tree triangle like we don't have that yeah and i think the last thing also was just in the legend the creation of saurus rock there's electricity coming out of the ground and then it just rises out of the ground yeah this this rock that overlooks the great valley that's shaped like a long neck is saurus rock and the legend just shows it like literally jutting up out of the ground in tribute to the lone dinosaur when he saves the day yeah it's very highlander-esque i think it's uh just to show that he the lone dinosaur has become the one yeah and his heroicness (laughs) was so good it was so good that he brought electricity down and it created a goddamn mountain part. And uh, the, the conceit of the legend is that if anything ever happens to Saurus Rock, if it gets broken or damaged or disrespected somehow, that will bring bad luck yes. to the Great Valley. And as soon as I hear that, I'm like, all right, somebody's going to break the rock. I know <laughs> what's going to happen. Someone's going to fuck shit up. Well, that was a note of mine, too. And I, you know, I, it's, I probably shouldn't have focused on it, but... I was just like so far ahead of everybody in this movie because I understood where everything was going. Yeah, this this is an inception. They're not really <laughs> trying to spin them. This is a memento. They're not, you know, spinning a mystery. They're not trying <laughs> to show you, you know, the shining blood flow coming from the elevator or anything <laughs> like that. 
That would be pretty great, though, if they're, like, in a cave and just, like, all of a sudden just dino blood starts, like, flowing towards them. It would have been the greatest <laughs> land before time and maybe the greatest movie that ever was made. Boy, Grandpa is sure working hard on his novel. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That would be, that's Little really foot. funny. That's really funny to me. All work and no play makes Grandpa dull dinosaur. <laughs> Oh, I think boy. this is the first movie where they refer to themselves as dinosaur. Also, I can't prove that yet. I'm going to have to go back. But that just seems weird to me that they're calling each other dinosaur now. I swear I never heard that we, before. We are the dinosaurs. And they also call it Saurus Rock, but they don't call any of the other dinosaurs Sauruses. They call them like Longnecks yes, and Treehorn and yeah. Swimmer. Th there was a moment in movie two where Ozzy called himself a Struthiomimus. It was in the song Eggs. But the, the, we've proven, though, in this podcast that the songs are not canon. Because <laughs> in all of the songs, they mention things like socks or like what day of the month it is. And all these things that dinosaurs should not know or have. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, just... We're just well, tossing them I mean, all out. I really loved every single song in this movie, but that's just it, the songs are really good. Let's talk about the first song because it, it's a fun one. The Lone Dinosaur song is um, amazing. It's... I was so into it. Dinosaur, he promised his protection. Dinosaur to the helpless and the poor. It's a western ballad. It, it's it's. Canyonero. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Littlefoot's going to town with the big iron on his hip. It's really cool, and uh, I'm super into it. And everyone's like singing along to it. He's spinning this western yarn. Um, also, at this point, we we actually do meet the lone dinosaur, whose name is Doc. Yes, which is fucking awesome. He, I laugh so yeah, hard. He is a he is he is a he is a oh, that, That's, that's another shi that's another shining connection because. <laughs> Because Dan Danny is called Doc. Jack and Wendy called Danny Doc. Anyway. <laughs> sure, I mean, it's also, you know... Uh, it's Doc Holiday. Doc Holiday, yeah. But yeah, it's also yeah, because yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a Diplodocus. That's his species of dinosaur. And it's just like uh... Sarah's name, you know? Yeah, they always do that. Doc also has, like... I feel like they gave him, like, a movie star face on a dinosaur because he looks so different from all of the other dinosaurs. Like, his face looks weird. It, it it almost looks like his face is supposed to be a caricature, like a dinosaur version of an actor of or like, something. Of, like, Chris Christopherson, I yeah. guess, or something. It's a very strange face. Like in uh, in Shark Tale. Yeah. Yes, it's very much a Shark Tale thing. That's a good, that's a good analogy. After the song, everyone's like, little but you're crazy there's no way doc is the lone dinosaur and he's like no he's just like the saurus rock statue and sarah's brain dead nieces are like oh let's go to the statue i guess well sarah sarah yells at oh, them oh that's right sarah yells at them she gets mad she gets mad at them for something and she yells at she's them very she's very mean girl throughout the whole movie Oh, yeah. yeah, Sarah's boss bitch, and I love her for it. So Sarah is responsible <laughs> for taking care of her nieces, but that's a terrible idea because Sarah is mean, and she yells at her nieces and tells them to get lost, right after which the big uh, lone dinosaur number happens because Littlefoot uh, couldn't possibly care that and Sarah's being mean to her nieces. Slaps. There's a great moment where, like, Sarah's about to apologize to her nieces, and Littlefoot just, like, bashes her out of the way yeah. and say, guys, guys, I got a story. Sarah! What? What? Ugh. Hey, guys, guess what? Just yeah. like, like Littlefoot, Sarah. Sarah. Littlefoot, 
Littlefoot just like like just barges pile in. Drives her. It's great. Just it's... barges into the middle of this emotional <laughs> moment to sing about the lone dinosaur because that's all he cares about. Uh, he is a narcissist. Of course, after the twins would hear this amazing Western ballad, they would be like, "Yeah, let's go to this rock." Which who wouldn't? Honestly, I would go to the rock if I heard yeah, that song. That's what it. That's what the song is for. Sarah brings up a good point during the song. Like you know, the lone dinosaur would be dead, right? Because that's like an old story. It couldn't have been Doc. That was a long, long, long time ago. The real lone dinosaur wouldn't still be alive. And Littlefoot acts like your friend uh, or, or younger younger kid friend did when you insulted Spider Man or whatever. You know, he just like gets so upset that Sarah should dare challenge the validity of the lone dinosaur. My dad is not Santa Claus. I'll prove it. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... Uh, why, why is why is Littlefoot so gung-ho about this idea? Well, we learn later it's because he wants a heroic figure in his life and he doesn't see his grandfather as that figure. Uh, well, I feel like it just wasn't set up properly at the beginning of the film. What? What? <laughs> In, in the sixth movie of a children's franchise, they don't do proper <laughs> foreshadowing, Pete. There's periodic blackouts throughout the whole movie, too. So I felt it was like, is this a TV movie? It, it feels like it. I don't think. It felt like it to me. Yeah, these were made with the idea that they would be on like some kind of television along with a VHS release. I'm pretty sure they all they all have a lot of those fade outs. I mean, I swore I saw some of these on like Cartoon Network or something similar when I was a kid. They realize at this point that Sarah's nieces are gone, so they have to go find them. Uh, they go off into this weird point in the valley where everything's like redwood trees and uh, looks completely different from the Great Valley. At this point, I was curious about how big the Great Valley was. Or indeed, if they're still in the Great Valley, because it doesn't look like the rest of the Mysterious Beyond. It looks forested. It's like part of the Great Valley, but there's a sharp tooth there, and they're not supposed to be in the Great Valley. Maybe they're just, be they're just being like uh, the grandpa dinosaurs line about the how the, the whole tribe of dinosaurs is like a sheltered group. And so that's why people don't like uh, Doc. But maybe that's also why the, uh, why this as well. They're sheltered dinosaurs. It's it's the plot of Shane. You know, there's this small Western community, and when the lone gunslinger blows into town, nobody in the community trusts him until he saves them all. And that, of course, is the moment where he leaves and rides off into the sunset. Right, because you know we we give them a lot of credit because they can speak and communicate, but they are. Sp you know, stupid animals. You know, they are dinosaurs. They are very superstitious. If you told them that, um, you know, blood comes from space, they'd probably believe you. Although, to be honest, this movie may be the most accurate paleo art in the world. We don't know. We, we can't find out from their fossils if they could talk it's, or yeah. if they believed in the, the lone dinosaur, you know? It's very true. Uh, and there could have been something before dinosaurs that also had a civilization amongst the crooked mountains the old ones lie <laughs> yeah there, there could have been there could have been a, a pre a pre-cambrian uh, civilization that built uh, cyclopean structures with non-euclidean geometry <laughs> deep under antarctic ice i would love mm, that land mm. before time movie where we just see like um the city of the elder things like fucking cthulhu coming out of the volcano and little foot's like let's go be friends everybody's we need something different everybody's getting in on the cthulhu stuff now everybody's doing cthulhu stuff yeah it'd be it's a great time to bring the franchise back lovecraft is having a resurgence thanks to the fact that our entire generation is existential nihilists uh, uh yes yeah, uh, uh, true. For, for those of you true. listening, for those of you listening in, in the future, we are recording this during quarantine. Please let us know how that all turned out in the comments. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, absolutely. I'd like, to, <laughs> I'd like to know. 
eventually they get to Saurus Rock uh, pretty amazingly because they're dinosaurs with like these weird, um, weird like hoof feet things. Yeah, there's this sort of unexplained thing where we see them climbing to like the top of a cliff. <laughs> and we don't really know how they got up the cliff because most of them don't yeah, have that like blew my grasping mind. toes. <laughs> it's, it's that blew my mind, man. They moved up like, like ants. Imagine, yeah. Even, even Grandpa does it later. Like like he just walks up a cliff or something. Like he's like he's got gecko feet. Um, yeah, maybe they're like lizards and they just stick to things. I don't fucking know. There's also a raging bull moment that I wrote down about when like Littlefoot is trying to like psych himself up in like his like sleeping area. Oh yeah, he, yeah, I remember he, he's this. Like, but instead of talking to a mirror, he's talking to nothing. And he's just saying, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Well, who else are you talking to? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, who are you talking to? You sure you feel up to it, friend? Yeah, the ta- taxi driver scene. Uh, taxi driver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I mixed up my <laughs> Scorsese. Excuse me. Littlefoot is like really just amped up again about this lone dinosaur. Like he is just at full just like uh, hallucination mode, I think, at this point, where he just truly believes he's just the fucking lone dinosaur and he's gonna save the day. So so the the big the big arc for the plot here, and we'll get into details, is the kid the little kids run off to Saurus Rock. The older kids uh, freak out and go on a short adventure to bring them back. And in the process of trying to rescue them from the top of Saurus Rock, they end up damaging it, which causes bad luck in the Great Valley. They, they specifically break a a sharp tooth's tooth that was around. I'm trying. That's the right right way to say that, right? It, it's a sharp like, tooth's tooth around because uh, I guess he yeah. wore it like a necklace because the lone dinosaur was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 dinosaur rock Saurus Rock is wearing a necklace of sharp tooth teeth. Like I couldn't tell if the teeth on the rock were also rock or maybe they were teeth and then they became petrified and then they put on, cause at the end they, I don't want to get, I don't know. Should I say what they do at the end? Uh, who cares? I mean, I don't know. At the end, they, at the end, this. they, at the end, they put a new sharp tooth tooth onto Saurus rock. Uh, to replace the broken tooth. I, I think it's symbolic, you know, like it's a sharp tooth. You know, I think it is supposed to just be a rock, but this is like enough to make the magic come back. You know, the long-term plot is they've caused all this bad luck in the Great Valley. The other dinosaurs are blaming the newcomer for it, which is Doc. Littlefoot and his friends then return to Saurus Rock to repair the bad luck uh, by fixing the rock and saving the day. This causes them to be attacked by a sharp tooth because they're idiots. And then Grandpa saves Littlefoot from the sharp tooth by fighting alongside the lone dinosaur. And thus, Littlefoot realizes that his grandpa is his real hero. I I was really hoping for a moment when um, a grandpa and lone dinosaur team up where Grandpa was like, just like old times, eh, Doc? (laughs) Just like uh, Arizona. (laughs) And then it turns out that the grandpa dinosaur was in the legend too or he was the lone dinosaur that would be a cool twist yeah like, what if what if doc was just his partner his, yeah the guy who wrote the dime novels <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the guy who took all the fame yeah the, the man who shot uh liberty valance or whatever that movie is called <laughs> <laughs> 
There's some cool scenes uh, during all this process, though, that, that I, sure. I would like to take up because I got them in my notes. When the first bad luck thing happens um, and they're realizing bad stuff's going to happen, Ducky says some line like, don't worry, Littlefoot. I mean, this the whole Great Valley is going to have bad luck. And then maybe the whole world has bad luck. First we have bad luck. Then the whole Great Valley will have bad luck. Then maybe the whole dinosaur world will have bad luck. Then maybe even the whole universe will have bad luck. Yeah, I wrote that down dinos- too. The whole universe has bad luck. Yeah, it, it like, just keeps what a escalating. Fucking bitch! Like this- I love you, Ducky, but geez, that is cold. This one definitely has the best comedy dialogue of any of the sequels so far. There are some actual. <laughs> At least solid for me, gags. Ducky had all the best lines for sure. Even just saying simple lines, because like I think Littlefoot asked him something, and Ducky just replies, "I do not know. I do not." No, like (laughs) there's something so giddy, like there's something so gleeful and giddy about his character that just is like all his lines are great. She's got some zingers. Uh, Petrie's pretty, pretty asshole-ish too. Like there's a scene where they're, they're going over a log to, to pass over like a, a crevice and Ducky's afraid of falling and Petrie's like, don't worry, there's a tiny little river at the bottom, so maybe you'll hit that. If you fall, there is skinny little river way down there that you might land in. Oh, thank you. I feel so much better now. <laughs> and Ducky's like, oh god, thanks, Petrie. I think the first time she's ever been sarcastic in this entire franchise. It's great. Yeah, the, the <laughs> characters are starting to break out of their one-dimensional tropes a little bit. It seems like I joined you, uh, uh, at the film where everything just starts turning around in this franchise. Yeah, it, it took them six movies to figure out how to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they finally nailed, how, how, nailed the formula. How to make their characters have have fun, likable interactions uh, with each yeah, other. How, how to make the parents like not shoot themselves <laughs> uh, while watching all of this. Anyway, the bad luck starts happening, and I love how the bad luck... Um, begins because Littlefoot's like, oh, no bad luck's gonna happen. And Ducky's like, I put my face in a beehive. Ducky, what happened to your beak? I got it stuck in a hive of buzzing stingers. Which I think just <laughs> says that Ducky's stupid. Like that's yeah. not really a bad luck thing. It's more like Ducky. That might be something. That might like, be something you... <laughs> that ha- would have happened yesterday. Yeah, like it, it just sounds like you're dumb. Maybe don't put your head in a beehive. It seemed to me that the bad luck was really just kind of funny. Yeah, the, the bad luck happens to the Great Valley, but it's mostly just a series of inconveniences. No, it was really goofy. And I think like two separate dinosaurs got their heads in a beehive and got stung. I think, I think these dinosaurs just have really bad luck with bees. It's probably, for long necks, it's probably a common issue. Yes, they're like bears trying to get into the honey tree <laughs> just to get to get to the beehive. Hives are in trees, long necks eat from trees. Let's, you know, this is what I'm saying. I would love for Winnie the Pooh to be in this franchise. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Disney hasn't bought Universal yet, so we'll if see. If they had that. like a little, if they had like a little cameo from a yellow colored bear. Yeah, and just like uh, Mr. Threehorn just eats them. <laughs> yeah, something like dinosaurs. that. Something, something simple animals. like that. What are they gonna do? So one of the bad luck things that happens is a water hole dries up not all the water holes just a water hole oh and they're okay. and they they cluster around the water hole and they're like this this water hole dried up yeah but we've got other water holes yeah but this was the nicest one there is still plenty of water in the great valley yes but this watering place was the coolest and the clearest 
Oh, why did it have to be the one that dried up? And then it's like, oh, okay, wow. boo-hoo. You, you've... Yeah, Grandpa's like, we have other water holes. And it's like, yeah, but this was the coolest and the nicest. And it's like every other movie in this series, the water fucking dries up in the Great Valley. So it's like, okay, <laughs> aren't you just used to this by now? Go swim in the other water hole. It's okay. It's like, it's like when something bad happens in like the nice part of town. So like everybody freaks out and they have to spend millions of dollars to fix it. While mm-hmm. like everything else is just like being destroyed and whatever, but no, we gotta fix the nice part of the Great Valley first. The gentrified water hole dried up. Uh, at some point between all of this, they sang another song, and I was just dumbstruck. This about how amazing this song was, because in the, during the song they just go to Spike and say "Hit it, Spike," and he just starts making horn sounds with his mouth for the rest. <laughs> Of the song. Hit it, Spike. He does what I used to do at ska punk concerts. Yeah. He just just sings the horn lines. Yeah, he he just just with his mouth, he's going. (laughs) It's it's amazing. This is my favorite moment in the entire movie. I was I was laughing so hard. You make a wonderful argument because because like Pete, you gotta understand. Like we we're six movies into this now, so we've been following these characters (laughs) for so fucking long, and all of a sudden Spike just starts fucking like (laughs) blowing his mouth like a trumpet, and we're just like, I think I'm dead. I'm just losing my mind. It's uh, it's a great, it's it's another banger. Again, great songs. Another banger. Another banger. I wrote down great refrain. It's got a good refrain. They they found a a songwriting duo to stick around this time. This songwriting duo, I believe, also did the fifth one. Yes, uh, also had great songs and was also very strange. At this point, um, uh, a lot of bad things are happening. A tornado hits the Great Valley. The Great Valley's got earthquakes, volcanoes tornadoes it's like 10,000 BC in terms of all the weather they're experiencing it's just like over the course of a day two days they're experiencing rain and and uh wind and uh and dry desert conditions and uh, they have a lot of uh global warming metaphors in this series obviously it's like a na- <laughs> it's mean, nature it's a nature it's show nature it's nature, guys. Yeah. So in this one, they're saying that it's not global warming that's destroying the Great Valley. It's because this this new unknown dinosaur showed up and created bad luck for everybody. Yeah, because in this movie, all the dinosaurs are like ignorant pioneers or something, and they all they all believe that he's like somehow bringing bad luck by being in their their town. Yeah, and they were they were all blowing around so much that I kind of felt like. And I wrote this note down earlier as well that like weight is not like a thing that is really something that like anybody pays attention to in this movie because like <laughs> yes uh, uh, Petrie is trying to lift up Spike off the off the out of the log because he's stuck and uh, <laughs> people are uh, or people uh, dinosaurs are you know it's just like. They're working in ways throughout the movie for me that I noticed. It just seems like physics aren't really like the are being paid attention to that much, really. Even like sense of scale isn't being paid attention to these dinosaurs. I cannot tell the fucking size of these guys. (laughs) The size changes a lot, too. They're very uh, Godzilla 2001 in that respect. (laughs) 
I also have a nitpick uh, about Sarah's nieces. They're supposed to be younger versions of her same species, and they have little horns growing out of their forehead, like little Triceratops horns. Sarah is older, but she doesn't have those horns. So what's going on? I think there's some cheating going on yeah. in the dinosaur Oh, world, no. So should, yeah. <laughs> little Foot decides to try and get a sharp tooth from an actual sharp tooth in order to replace the broken one. It's a sharp tooth that attacked them earlier in the redwooded area. And that's another place where like physics don't seem to be a huge deal because like the dinosaur gets stuck in like this like tunnel in a tree when he could have, I think just easily moved around the tree to get at the children. <laughs> yes. It's yes. Uh, well, the T-Rexes don't have a great vision. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that that is apparently canon in this series. Uh, one of the Land Before Time TV show episodes, I think, describes T-Rexes as having vision based on movement. So the the sharp tooth, you know, that had attacked them earlier when they were trying to rescue Sarah's nieces. They dispatch it via the conventional method of pushing it off a cliff. But now that the bad luck has happened, Littlefoot who, you know, wants to be the lone dinosaur, has gone off on his own so he can be the cool loner to go and find the corpse of this sharp tooth and pry one of his teeth out and use it to fix Saurus Rock to fix the bad luck. Which is pretty metal of Littlefoot, I have to say. But That's this sharp tooth cool. has just been lying there at the bottom of the chasm for like a week and of course, right when Littlefoot goes down to its corpse to pull out the tooth, it turns out to be alive and wakes up and tries to eat him. There's a great moment where Littlefoot is in the sharp tooth's mouth and the sharp tooth just wakes up and he must be thinking like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> I, just, I just woke up and there's food in my mouth. <laughs> him realizing that the thing is still alive takes up probably like an entire 30 seconds. And in that amount of time, it would he would have been dead by then. Yes, and, and he's like, first, like, good thing there's a nice breeze in here. Yeah. Which, what are you talking which... about? <laughs> um, a breeze of hot breath. <laughs> there might have been a breeze. I mean, the mouth is open. They live outside in the wilderness. Maybe there was wind blowing anyway. I don't know. I, I like to think that the dinosaur is just, like, farting out of his mouth. Yeah, just a bad, it had a bad meal. Anyway, the sharp tooth chases Littlefoot. Uh, his friends and grandpa show up, and this is where uh, grandpa uh, starts to fight the sharp tooth, and he's pretty badass. Grandpa's, it seems he is a uh, an experienced dinosaur. Yes, he has killed uh, many sharp teeth. There's, there's he has one killed movie, many. There's one move he does where he, like, chokes one of the sharp teeth with his tail and then, like, kicks him in the face, Yeah, which I oh, thought was Jesus pretty Christ. rad. But then another sharp tooth shows up so that grandpa's outnumbered so the lone dinosaur comes in and the two of them tag team these two sharp teeth together um and they kick their asses completely and uh in the process they fix the the big saurus rock and so there's this emotional final scene where doc's like well i guess it's about time for me to be a going and Littlefoot's like but wait you're my hero and he says son you already got a hero I love at that moment that they just like turn to grandpa and grandpa's like, where am I? <laughs> oh, I'm so cold. Littlefoot, I pooped my pants again. <laughs> oh, you have to take care of me, Littlefoot, forever. <laughs> I loved I loved during the fight, there was this one, mo or it was the end of the fight where there was this moment where like a severed sharp tooth's tooth falls to the ground 
and then just, just as, so conveniently as soon, <laughs> yeah very very convenient for sure but then as soon as it hits the ground all the children just start cheering like and i was just like that's really weird and dark and morbid isn't it <laughs> yeah fuck yeah we got its tooth piece of shit sharp tooth <laughs> at this point the little foot and his friends have killed many sharp teeth i think they have bloodlust yeah <laughs> at least <laughs> there's more than one way to kill a sharp tooth you can push it off a cliff or you can push a rock off a cliff onto it and this is basically the end of the movie grandpa becomes the new legend that the children tell each other and they they continue uh, on in the great valley and the circle of life or whatever it is the great circle <laughs> <laughs> i i remember i remember the final conversation is something that like stuck in my mind the grandfather's like point like is like oh it was just a story it was just a tale to learn from and da 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 da. And then the final conversation, Littlefoot is like, you know what, Grandpa? Maybe you're right, but we should still put the rock back. I know, I know. There's no such thing as bad luck. But there's no harm in making sure. I suppose not. <laughs> it feels good, yeah, it feels like, good to put the rock back. And Grandpa's like, oh, well, I guess you're right. You know, it's like saying, your religion is probably fake, but it's okay because it's a story that makes you feel good and teaches you about life <laughs> yeah i'm just saying that when when i die and nothing happens you know I, I that's just what it is something happens but if i'm right and i die and i go to the afterlife and you <laughs> don't checkmate atheist uh and that's it that's that's basically the movie by far my favorite of the sequels so far the the quality of the script and the quality of the animation uh are much higher than uh most of what we've seen since the first film but we've we've also seen the other ones uh p what, what did you think overall of this one i like i think probably it wasn't even like halfway through where i was just like man this is very boring this is very, <laughs> the themes and the morals that this movie has are very simple, very easy to understand, you know, and not to be a fucking asshole cinephile type person, but uh, it, it just... It's not that type of podcast at all. No, it's not. <laughs> We're not here to make fun of the movie, Pete. It's, yeah. oh, show some respect. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it just, there were just a lot of moments where I was just like, man, like, this is taking super forever. They had, like, you know, it was very reminiscent of, like, late 80s, early 90s animation, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where, like, a villain would be on the screen moving their arms for a moment too long while one of the characters was, like, saying a, some sort of comeuppance bullshit. There was, like, so many moments that I'm like, I'm like, okay, I know the, the mouth... There, it's dangerous. The mouth of the sharp tooth is about to close. I on light little foot. I get it. It, it, was, it just didn't pique my interest, as you, as they say. There's definitely a target audience, uh, like you said. I can easily imagine like seeing something like this on like Kids WB between Pokemon and Jackie Chan Adventures. Just slot it right in there. It's not bad. There's still some good knowledge to be gained from this movie but it has to be in like the right setting I, and you know if you're going to watch the whole thing together the fact that it's kind of like a, a direct-to-video tv-esque type movie is apparent from moment one it's just I, I think it kind of just affects like the whole tone and how and the whole you know 
how you would view uh, the the movie. No, uh, absolutely. We agree. We definitely have a, a bit of Stockholm syndrome uh, from watching <laughs> all of these movies. It's hard. To, I can't tell if these movies are good or bad anymore. Don't take any of these movies seriously because we're going to make 14 of them. So yeah. just fucking sit down. Shut up. It's a good story. It's Yes. So now, uh, Pete, uh, we are going to go into our next segment, possibly our, a fan favorite segment. Okay. <laughs> Dino Facts with Professor Truthosaurus. Hello, oh, ladies boy. and gentlemen. Oh, uh, Professor. So- I am a professor of truth, (laughs) Uh, only of truth. Uh, So today's Dino Facts, since this movie is a riff on uh, Westerns and uh, and the the Wild West motif, I'm going to talk a little bit about a very interesting event that occurred in the Wild West uh, in the history of dinosaur paleontology. The main cast of The Land Before Time, uh, all of them except for Ducky, all the rest, Petrie, Spike, Sarah, and Littlefoot, all of the dinosaurs that they are based on were discovered by the same man. His name was O.C. Marsh, uh, Othniel Charles Marsh. And O.C. Marsh is one of the most significant paleontologists of all time. He made some of the earliest dinosaur discoveries in North America, Before he started uh, his work, there were only nine named dinosaur species. Uh, This was back in the 1800s. Right after the Civil War, the West is opened up and there's all this, you know, land to go look for fossils in. But Marsh had a rival by the name of Edward Drinker Cope. And Marsh and Cope hated each other so intensely that their feud has become legendary in the history of paleontology. This is, I, uh, I, I know, I, I think I've heard the story before, Professor. Yeah, this is called the Bone Wars. Um, yeah. From the 1870s, yeah. From the 1870s to the 1890s, these two guys uh, embarked on a rivalry of staggering proportions. Not only were they racing to get bones from each other, so that each of them could have more bones and name more species and constantly discrediting each other and bad-mouthing each other in the scientific press. But when they would actually go out into the West to collect fossils, they would actually fight with each other. They would sabotage each other's dig sites. They would hire bandits and stuff to, like, steal fossils from one another. Like, Cope was known for sending what he called dinosaur rustlers to steal bones from Marsh's dig sites. Oh, my God. Um, it's so... If they discovered... It's so... You know, oh, they, God. They would have spies working in each other's organizations saying, like, hey, Marsh just discovered a new, a new fossil quarry. You know, we got to get in there on this site and get some stuff out before he does. If they made a big find and they didn't want the other to get their hands on any of the stuff they had left, they would pull out as much material as they could and then they would just dynamite the site and destroy all of the other fossils that they hadn't collected. There was a train 
robbery at one point. Not a train robbery, but a train, kind of a train heist where, where somebody paid somebody else to redirect a train shipment of fossils from one paleontologist's university to the other. There were even some incidents where their two dig teams were working very close together and engaged in physical violence with one another. The dig teams just like opened fire on one another and threw rocks oh and, and all this stuff. <laughs> this intense rivalry ended up financially destroying both men. They both died penniless because they had spent their personal fortunes viciously doing battle with each other over paleontological supremacy. And the final insult came when Cope died. He was the first of the two to die. Back then, they believed in phrenology and all sorts of weird stuff. He insisted that his brain be preserved and measured so that when Marsh died, his brain could be measured and they could settle once and for all which one had the bigger brain. Because back then, they actually thought that was a measure of intelligence. And the final insult was... So the final insult was that instead of, you know, being buried, uh, Cope had his skull preserved so he could be measured against Marsh, and then Marsh just refused to have his skull measured. <laughs> to this day. Coward! Coward! To, to fucking this day. Coward. To no, this day, I say, in the Peabody I say Museum in Europe. No, I, you know what? I'm on, I'm on the Cope team now. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, Cope's skull is still in the collection of the Peabody Museum somewhere. Oh, my God. Having never been measured against marshes. But anyway, these two guys, they are not only responsible for some of the most important dinosaur discoveries of all time, Stegosaurus, Triceratops, Brontosaurus, all of these things, it is estimated that they actually set the paleontological field back more than they advanced it because of how many fossils they destroyed to keep each other from getting their hands on them. <laughs> it's insane. Oh my God! They actually set back all of Amalian or all of American paleontology in the eyes of the world because it was oh just God. besmirched by these guys. It's, it's such a depressing story. And a lot of the places they were going to weren't even like American territory at the time. They would just go on to Indian land and just steal bones oh from God. Indian land, where they could try to kill each other and stuff, and nobody would would stop them. It it was insane. Oh my God. Well, Chris, normally I pre present a joke rebuttal to your dino facts, but there's nothing I can think of that's anything close to it's how that, that, that amazing story. I will say this is this is this is a Will Ferrell, John C. Riley movie waiting to happen. Oh, I've been wanting them to make one for so long, and they were actually going to make one. There was one at HBO in production that was going to star Steve Carell as Cope and James Gandolfini as Marsh. Oh, that would have been oh! so good. But then James Gandolfini passed, and so oh, no! they God. showed up the project. God, that would have um, been so good. Recently, they posthumously published a novel by Michael Crichton that he wrote back in the 70s uh, about the Bone Wars. It, it's, it's like a fictional account about a, yeah, about a kid who goes out west and ends up working for both and playing both teams and oh that's fun yeah supposedly they're going to adapt that at some point but yeah it's just there have been a lot of ideas to make that movie or show happen and it's just never happened God, that could be so funny well i think we have now come to the end of the podcast so for our last bit uh p i'd like to ask you the question we ask all of our guests what is your favorite dinosaur and why uh, I think I would probably have to say my favorite dinosaur, it's a very obvious choice, is the Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
I, uh, I mean, how can you not like the king of the dinosaurs? It's, it's the coolest dinosaur. Pete, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the podcast and, and witnessing uh, maybe the first and last dino western ever made. Uh, <laughs> no, great di- good dinosaur. The oh, good that's dinosaur. Right. Oh, that's right. The good dinosaur also has fucking western section. God damn it. With Sam and, Elliott oh, as, a, as a cowboy T Rex. Uh, well, this I you know whatever. We'll and talk about- and there's the Valley of Guanji, the cowboys versus dinosaurs movie from the '60s. I'm sure there's one of those fucking asylum films too, like Jurassic Cowboy or whatever the fuck. Pete, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you both so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking about this uh, really boring movie. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug before you go? Well. Uh, even though we are not currently performing right now, I am on, uh, improv team called Scene Kids. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a punk rock themed team and we have a show with live bands and much types of comedy called Punk House Party, uh, at the Pack Theater, uh, every second Saturday of the month, usually. But I am also on... Another team called United Dance Party. It's not an improv team. It is a uh, interdimensional talk show, as it were. And it's hosted by a man called Mr. Time Space. And every month, usually, they have different guests. And uh, it's a comedy show, but uh, it's just run by people who don't un- really understand what comedy is and are not really people. Yeah, very cool. Uh, we'll have links to all of that. In the, in the description uh, for you to check out. Yeah, that'll do it for uh, Land Before Timeland podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please, uh, and you want to you know, help us out a little bit, please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash landbeforetimeland. Uh, if you donate $5, you'll actually get access to a bonus podcast where Chris and I talk about the Land Before Time cartoon show. There's other benefits for checking out our Patreon, so go ahead. You can also uh, like us on Facebook, slash Land Before Timeland, and you can follow us on Twitter at uh, LBTL Podcast. Um, and all that stuff will be in the description as well. You can also check out some of our other projects, podcasts, uh, music things that we do. Again, in the description. All right. Well, I uh, I've been I've been tinkering with this time portal, and I oh think yeah, I've we got forgot to mention, Pete, we're we're in a time portal this whole time. Yeah. In case you were wondering why you were why you were flicking in and out of existence this entire, we've been in a, we've been in that black hole that just yeah. Your your <laughs> your time signature was a little off from ours. Make peace with your god. Flipping the switch. Ah! Okay. Stashed the time machine behind the usual pile of trees. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've got my uh, apron on, ready to go to work. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are uh, just tuning in, um, my name is uh, Jessica. Uh, with me is uh, Marlon. Marlon, yes. And we are uh, humble fruit sellers in a uh, unspecified island off the coast of South America. Yes. Um, we we do keep uh, getting people coming to uh, coming to our stand and showing us wanted posters of two people who look very similar to ourselves, wanted for multiple counts of lawyer murder. But um, you know, th- they say you've got like three or four doppelgangers in the world. There are just so many humans, right? Yeah, so, yeah. You know. These these people who the locals are calling the um, the uh, lawyer lynchers are um, really 
horrible, disgusting people, and I don't uh, would I would never want to meet them. No, no, never, never. Um, it's uh, it's really it's really scary when you know you don't know where these wanted criminals are in the world. They could be they could be absolutely anywhere. Yes, and uh, even if you know for say that they were actually innocent and it was a, a dinosaur of some kind that was eating these lawyers and it really had nothing to do with uh, these podcasters, I you know it, it still wouldn't be us is what I'm trying to say. Hang on, hang on a second. Do you, you see that tourist over there? Yes. The one that's 25 feet tall with the big sunglasses and the sun hat. Wait. And the big long tail. That's really tall. I mean, don't don't look don't look him in the eye. Okay. Uh, well, it's kind of hard because to, I can only see one right. eye at a time. Well, we don't we don't want him to like notice that we're paying attention to him, but he he kind of looks like a Tyrannosaurus Rex disguised as a human. No, right, really? Yeah, I mean, am I just being an asshole here? Take I mean, a look. I, mean, I kind of see it. Like, yeah, I, I've noticed that as soon as I I uh, stop moving, he's not looking at me anymore. Yeah, which is um yeah making me a little uncomfortable. Uh, oh. Crap. Okay, he's walking up to here. Oh, what, what do we say? Um, we, you know, we, we, we sell him fruit. That's that's our job. Oh, shit. Is my mustache on straight? Yes. We're okay. all good. Okay. Um, <clears throat> hello, sir. Welcome to our uh, fruit stand uh, and uh, and drinks bar, uh, which is called... Uh, Java Juice. Java Juice. <laughs> It's never. It's a, that's a. That's an original name. Is Le Nublar's finest uh, purveyor of, of fruit juices? What can I get you? Oh, oh yeah, we've we've got a few of those here. Uh, I think we're out of boba. Actually, I see. Oh, guys, he gets so mad at he's us. He's gonna get so mad. Oh God, where, where do we get some boba? Okay, uh, you distract him. Okay. I'm gonna go find a cannon. Okay. Shoot a cannonball at him. That's a good idea. Okay. okay. Yeah, there's an old there's an old Caribbean fort. On the other side of this island, I knew, take, was, I knew we picked. That's why I said we had to pick the island with the Caribbean fort. Yes, yeah, so it's happened. Okay. It's perfect. All right. uh, sorry, sir. We uh, we're we're out of uh, boba at the moment. My associate's just running to the back storeroom uh, uh, on the other side of the island to get some. Oh uh, well, uh, listen. Uh, you know, uh, we 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 have to get our stuff imported from the states. It's kind of a long trip. You know, we 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 run out of stuff kind of quickly. What? No, no, that's not us. No, no, you have us mistaken. See, I've got a mustache. Well, it's a different style of mustache. Okay, I'm back. Do you have a match of some kind? Uh, yeah, right here. Okay. All right, lights. Keep them still. All right. Ten. Nine. Oh, no. He's pushing it back over towards us like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh, no. It's about it's to die. This land was made for time and land 